What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sports Card Strategy Show, the flagship show on the NoOffSeason.com Sports Card Content Network. Uh, we are brought to you by NoOffSeason.com, the Sports Card Investment Report. We would love you to save 20% by uh, using the promo code NoOffSeason at checkout. You can get a premium membership for 20% off using the promo code NoOffSeason at checkout. That's our sports card rankings across all sports, full write-ups, and the play for each athlete that we have ranked and uh, marketmoversapp.com by sports card investor is another one of our partners they are allowing uh, you as a member of our audience to get the first month for only one dollar at marketmoversapp.com if you use the promo code no offseason all lowercase and uh, i have my main man the co-host of the sports card strategy show and the host of the new baseball card strategy show Kendall McKee, who also represents Wild Cards Box Breaks on Facebook, and of course, JustBaseball.com. Got to show love to, to all of those guys. Kendall, how's it going, man? Man, it's awesome. I had a fantastic weekend. Uh, saw some profits come in, which was really good. You know, like, you, anyway, it's just been really good. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about sports cards. It's Monday morning. Uh, my bus route was good this morning, and so I was just ready to talk. It's, I was just like, hey, I got that podcast with Paul later, and I'm going to just just get on there and just crush it. So we're good. I love it. I've been working on the investment report all day, and I actually just recorded an episode of the Basketball Card Strategy Show. So I'm cool. I'm the host of that first episode, and uh, I feel pretty good about it. You know, you're like you did it. You did it with the baseball card strategy show. You're basically talking to yourself for like 45 minutes. So yeah. it's like you got to be really passionate about it. I thought you did a great job on <laughs> on the baseball card strategy show. So I tried to uh, echo your minus energy. the Nick Martinez goof. I had to jump in. Hey, it just allowed a nice little post production opportunity for me to. to help <laughs> you had out. to. I just. Good. I just had to correct it because there is a Nick Martinez. So I, no, just, yeah, yeah, I yeah. just felt like, you know, but yeah, no. It, it no, I th I'm glad you did. <laughs> when I was talking, you know, I rewatched it and I was like, Nick G Martinez. And I'm like, <laughs> I was knew. so close to getting it right. You, you knew it was Nick Gonzalez. You just, you just had, I just think you had Ranger brain, you know, it was like opening day and yeah, I don't know. I hated him on the Rangers. Yeah, it's he, maybe he traumatized you, so he's in your in your brain. But anyway, um, we got a good show to get to. We're gonna bring the energy. Kendall's bringing the energy. We've got some uh, Kendall card sales right after opening day that I think I want to get into. Um, we've got some other baseball talk. I want to talk a little bit about Riley Green and O'Neill Cruz in terms of just some observations. Like these guys, you know, one had an injury, another one didn't get the big league promotion so what does that do if anything to their cards and maybe have you talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. um and then uh i mean it's gonna be it's gonna be baseball mainly with the two of us and then we're gonna have a special guest paul fisher is a heavy heavy golf hockey and basketball card investor and he's actually a member of the premium sports card investment report at no off season. And he's had so many intelligent things to say in emails to me that I decided to invite him on the show to talk a little bit about his experience, but also golf specifically we're post masters 
and hockey card investing because I think hockey's heating up being on ESPN and the NHL playoffs are coming just like the NBA playoffs. So we've got all these niche shows that we want you to check out the basketball card strategy show, the baseball card strategy show. We talk a lot about F1. We talk a lot about soccer. We've got shows for each of those sports. So on today's show, we're going to talk mainly baseball, golf, and hockey. Um, maybe toss in a little bit of basketball, but uh, Kendall, let's get started with the first topic. I mean, I think you're super excited to tell us about your card sales. You ran sort of an opening day, opening week sale, and um, you also acquired a goat card, and you've got some some PSA subbing that you want to talk to us about. So let's just go one by one. Talk to us about your card sales and kind of what what people can learn, what the audience can learn from what you did. Yeah, so this was my first time. So, okay, let me back up a little bit. I've been um, friends with a guy named um, named Kyle from Let's Talk Wax. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, we actually have had him do some writing for Just Baseball. I think his name is Kyle Walker. Let me make sure that that is his last name so I don't just butcher that again like Nick Martinez. Walter. Walter, not Walker. Yeah. So Kyle Walker is a is a friend of mine. We've been uh, chatting back and forth for about maybe about a year now, maybe a little bit less than that. But uh, one thing we were talking about in the off season is like a strategy um, to really not only talk about investing in the off season, selling during the season, but really doing that, you know, because that's kind of been where I knew I needed to get, but it seems like it's emotional during the season when you see a guy just popping off, you want to just be a part of that. And how can you get ahead in front of that as an investor, not a collector? You need to not be catching the the peaks. You need to be selling the peaks, right? So if we're doing that here on this podcast, I will say that it's my first time where I've gone through a whole cycle of buying throughout the off season, selling uh, through spring training and opening day and still continuing to do that and uh, kind of recouping my bag. So that's been really fun. Um, I was able to kind of capitalize on some guys making the the pros, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, an, uh, as well as I also invested in Riley Green and O'Neill Cruz, and that's kind of not here yet. But some of the guys that I have seen nice wins on are uh, Jeremy Pena already, like, hitting a, a home run while his, I don't know if you saw this, but his family was being interviewed about his opening day and he hits a home run while they're interviewing his parents. It was like such a perfect moment, you know? And it was on the new Apple Plus, uh, the Apple Plus Friday night show that the MLB is now partnered with Apple and they were like doing that interview. And it was just the broadcast itself I'll just talk about that for a minute second was not great. Like the broadcasters, I was like, man, you guys did like a $10 million product and brought people in that were like barely knew what they were doing. But I do think it's the first time they've ever done it. I do think it continues to get better. Um, but what a cool moment where Pena goes deep while his family's being interviewed. His dad was a major leaguer. They were talking about that. Just super cool. But anyway, I made some good returns on him already. Uh, made some good returns on Julio Rodriguez, obviously, as he makes the uh, opening day roster. And we'll continue to talk about him later in the episode. Um, and then also just selling some Kelnicks and Nick Gonzalez and um, just guys that I've been really high on all offseason that are still playing well. You know, so 
Um, I knew fundamentally that as soon as the lockout was over, cards would start moving again. And I just trusted that. And that's happened. So that's been really fun. I think that's important. Um, so let's dig in real quick because I'm curious. What, when did you buy each of those cards roughly? And what price range roughly were they? And sort of give us like an overview on like what, what cards were they? You don't have to get the actual detail of each card, but I just want to set the stage for like a little bit more detail on what you're doing and then what you sold them for yeah. uh, for the audience. So um, for, with the Julio Rodriguez is specifically, I liked him and I was watching him and I was realizing his price was getting very out of hand quickly, even in the off season because he was just exploding. Um, and I think I bought my first Julio Rodriguez, uh, just a regular Bowman first, not autographed. Um, I think in July of last year. So even during the season last year, but then I put down a quite a bit, even on just regular Bowman first papers and things. Um, all throughout the off season. And then I bought two PSA tens um, Bowman first one was a mojo and one was a camo um, for about 150 a piece at the time. And I was like, wow, that's expensive for just a regular Bowman first uh, mojo and camo PSA 10, like not autographed. I mean, these are just regular Bowman Chrome firsts. Um, and then I was like, but I believe in him. So I'm just going to do it. And I was able to turn uh, about a hundred dollar profit on each one, um, which was really nice. I made, uh, I held it for. I think the hold for both of them was a little longer than I wanted it to be. I wanted to be able to flip him in spring training, but with the lockout and everything, that didn't exactly go to plan. Uh, but I bought the PSA tens in December and January, and then flipped them both in March or April. Okay. So, nice. um, but he was a little bit too big for me to get in on the autographs already. Um, which is why I typically like to dive deeper because I'm able to give advice and get you guys in on autographs before they explode. For instance, if you had listened to the, the opening day podcast, the day of, and then bought a Jeremy Pena, the day of, the next day you could have sold it for a $150 profit. Um, and that would have been a really nice one day turn. Yep. Uh, so I, I was able to buy into him anywhere between 75 and $110 on any of his Bowman Chrome autos. And I'm, um, and the, the floor price on them right now is $200 on eBay sold comps on base, just raw base uh, autos. So I'm looking to, to, to move those this week. I'm about to put them on eBay later today, probably. Um, I might not move one just to hold it and maybe get it graded because I still like him as a player. And sometimes I like to keep the ones I like. But um, yeah, but I was able to sell two Sapphires for about 20 piece. Uh, Sapphire first, no auto. Um, which is really nice. I think I got them for like $6. So even on the smaller end, you're able to make nice plays on some of these guys that we're talking about. Yeah, that's good to know. So really like these are, I would say lower end cards and you hit on the player, you hit on the player performance, which is one big thing we always talk about. We kind of, I think we tend to lean player performance heavy with our investment 
advice, but we also try to talk about like what cards to buy. So it is nice to know that you can sort of trust your gut and, you know, listen to us to learn more. Um, Kendall's right. Like Jeremy Pena, he put out, we put out the baseball card strategy show on opening day. And then, and then uh, that is a play that you could have made if you heard the show that day. So that's <laughs> pretty had to been very quick, but I didn't expect him to blow up that much that fast, yeah. but just because yeah. of the whole interview and everything and just went wild. So. It's, but, and now that there's momentum there, it sounds like there could still be additional room for growth. Right. So not necessarily oh, yeah. that yeah. you need to go buy him right now, but if you just didn't have a chance to sell him, I think there's probably like, you're, you're probably still in good shape. Yeah. Yeah, if if you if you didn't buy in yet, I it would be I wouldn't say buy now. I mean, unless you just love him and you want to hold it as a personal, then you might as well buy now before it gets out of hand. But I I think he potentially makes the All Star team this year um, as a rookie, and that would that's probably going to moon his price. I would assume. Um, so, I mean, if you wanted to try to play that go for it. I'm not advising that. (laughs) I mean, technically none of this is financial advice. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, like all-star all-star game did sort of help certain guys last year. I mean, specifically Otani, I don't know how much it helped other guys, but I know that like there was a Otani's prices were rising at the beginning of last year. And then they really took off around the all-star break. I don't know if you have a comment on, any other guys that you remember that did that? But yeah. it does seem like the all-star game is a, is a key marker for a lot of guys' card prices to rise because there is a lot of hype uh, leading up to all-star, like just the all-star break. Yeah, it doesn't work for every guy, um, especially the guys that are supposed to make the team, I guess, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. like Mike Trout's value doesn't rise when he makes the all-star team. It just really falls if he doesn't, you know? And so yeah. it's like, it's not really fair, but... So it, 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 Mike Trout's value doesn't really rise if he makes the all-star team. It actually falls if he doesn't. So, but another guy that I was thinking of is it was a, it, he was a rookie last year as Adolis Garcia makes the all-star team. It's his first year in the majors. His prices go nuts. You know, like it was another one of those things where people were just trying to find his cards. He was a late bloomer. Um, and so there wasn't a whole lot of cards and it was actually his first were coming out of like a 2016, maybe. Um, actually maybe a little, maybe 2017, I don't have it right in front of me, but just off the dome, um, Adolis Garcia was one that was, uh, that gained a lot of steam from being a rookie that made the all-star team last year. Um, and then after the all-star break, his prices went down. So I would say like my ultimate, like, let's get out of Jeremy Pena type thing would either be, um, depending on the, how the Astros are doing is important. Um, but I would say probably the all-star game um, or potentially if the Astros are just slaying the West, um, maybe wait for a playoff push there. Um, Cause I mean, he's, he's the guy. So, yeah. But I mean, in general, would you say that like the play is to essentially do what you did? Like you and you and Kyle Walter, Kyle, we'll give him another shout out. Kyle Walter. <laughs> Let's talk wax um, on YouTube and Twitter. Sounds like you guys are saying like, if you can buy guys that you believe in, in the off season for baseball, um, specifically prospects, um, buy them in November, December, maybe even January, depending. And then 
be ready essentially to sell them, have them ready to sell at the beginning of the next season when there's hype either around the season starting or them having a, an actual good performance uh, or, or getting called up maybe from one level to the other level based on depending on where they are in the minors. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my strategy for making big plays. Um, now, I also am going to have like uh, monumental small plays throughout the year um, that are going to be like turning um, 22 Bowman cards that are coming out in April and kind of finding guys that I think are diamonds in the rough there. And then like when some of his gain steam, I'll flip those and then I'll do that again when Topps Chrome comes out about the middle of the season. And, and then there's inevitably going to be one guy that I probably have in my collection somewhere that's going to pop off at some point in the season and collect profits there. But something that I've been really um, – so another thing is I also, um, I also do investing and advising in the crypto tech space, so like with NFTs and cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And something that I advise in that space too is like – receive profits when capable you're not trying to take it like at the very very peak and then sometimes you miss the peak and it comes down especially with alternative investments outside of stock markets and stuff typically after a peak on the way up it's slow but after that it's just monumentally down like mm -hmm. things people are fire sailing basically trying to get back up to that peak and they're just like uh well it wasn't a hundred dollars so i'll take 80 you know like and then that's, yeah. and then someone's like, well, I'll take 70, you know? And then like two seconds later, you've got a $50 card on your hands. So yeah, realized profits is really important. I think that like, that's about, that's going to happen. I talk a lot about that on the basketball card strategy show episode that, you know, should be out right now. If you're, if you're listening to this, you, you can probably find the basketball card strategy show at nooffseason.com and in the sports card strategy feed on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's similar in every sport and just knowing a little bit more about the patterns in baseball, I think is helpful, but yeah, essentially the pattern in basketball is like, once the playoff picture starts to come to light, you, you know, you've got a lot of guys that are going to get, you know, antsy and maybe sell off guys that didn't pan out and take a huge loss or at least a loss. Whereas, um, I think that buying, this is where I think buying the right card and buying at the right time is probably the most, the two most important things, May, maybe even more so than picking the right player. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like the, all three combined are important, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, digging a little bit more into that is super helpful. So, so thanks for that on the baseball side. And then, um, you know, I, I mean, know I'm also planning on doing that with soccer right now. You know, like I know the World Cup's coming later this year. So I'm buying soccer cards right now. Yeah. Um, through that whole process of quote unquote an off season, even though it's a little different because their actual leagues are still in play right now, but their big event of the media like hype will be the World Cup, right? And yeah. so I'm collecting, you know all these cards up as a kind of a building a bankroll per se. Uh, and then I'm just going to cash that in as soon as the world cup starts. Um, so it's kind of the same play for me. Uh, that's kind of like what I want to do. What I desire to do is collect all off season, bring all these players in and then dump them 
well, dump them is not the right word, I don't think, but cash in on some of those cards through so the hype. Before we, on that note, before we go to the GOAT card that you acquired that I know you want to talk about, can we talk about that exact topic of buying soccer right now in, in April? We're in April 2022 recording this, and mm-hmm. um, I think you and I have, have both been doing this uh, for, I mean, I've been doing it for over a year. Um, and there are some guys that I'll, I, I can hit on that I'm like waiting for in particular to pan out, um, some a little bit riskier than others, but I'd like to get your take on some of the guys that I'll talk through real quick. Some of them we've already mentioned on the show, others we really haven't, yeah. but, um, this is going to be helpful selfishly to me, but also I think like very, very helpful <laughs> to the audience to get your take. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, so basically, so one guy um is Ansu Fati um yeah. I I bought him I bought I I invested I would say a pretty significant amount in him mm-hmm. uh over a year ago knowing he was injured knowing that he had a long a long way back but mm-hmm. anticipating that at age 18 um in Barcelona uh basically a goal scoring machine that he would star on the Spanish national team in the 2022 world cup and that he would eventually star for FC Barcelona again. And ironically we're at, we're at Fati comeback time, maybe number five. He's already tried to come back multiple times and had other nagging injuries from his, after his major knee surgeries. Um, But I do, I am holding currently like three of his graded mega cracks, uh, 2019 rookies. Um, those are probably the biggest. And, I, and I've also started to look again. There are some Fati autos that are circulating. Um, his rookie autos, I think, are, are way too risky. But there are some, some second-year autos in some of the more recognizable Panini sets um, that I'm just, I'm just interested in your take on maybe a rejuvenated Ansu Fati market for the World Cup. Yeah, I bought a a Fati card, a PSA 10 Fati Tops Chrome, I believe, um, at the National last year. I actually bought it the first day I was there. I saw it in a case, and I was like, you know, it's a pretty good price. And I was like, hey, would you take um, 180 for it? And the guy was like, yeah. And so I, you know, I walked away day one being like, okay, that's most of my budget for the week, you know? So, uh, and um but with Fati specifically, I'm still in on him. Um, but I would say that the I'm not as bullish as I was. Let's just put it that way. Because because of all the nagging injuries, it's just like I feel like it's just it's getting harder and harder for him to come in. And with Barcelona really not being the Barcelona we're used to right now, I think it's I I don't know if Fati actually ends up staying. Um, I'm not a hundred percent on that, you know, but like, there's a lot of guys that I like more than Fatih right now, even though I have Fatih in my collection. Um, but I think he obviously has room to run very talented kid and the world cup will, will be good. It'll be big for him to have a display internationally on the world cup level. Um, and it'll be good for not only him, but it'll be also good for Barcelona 
I'm just really not sure what Barcelona is going to do right now. It seems like they're still trying to figure out what's next. They have, they're in the post-Messi area or post-Messi era now. And I don't feel like they've figured out exactly what that's going to look like. Um, for like the last 20 years, they've basically known exactly what they were going to do. And then before that, you know, they had Ronaldinho, they, they brought in at the same, uh, around the same era, they had, you know, Zlatan and some other huge names. And now it's just like, okay, we've got this 18 year old that just keeps getting hurt, you know? And, um, it's interesting. I, I, I think the Barcelona team in general is interesting and I think Fati is also a piece of that because it seems like the entire team should be hyped and the entire team is kind of not where they're supposed to be I feel like so yeah that's that's affecting not only him but also Dest and some other players you know like it's just I mean it's it's uh it's a conundrum right now with the Barca yeah, and if if you haven't listened to uh, earlier episodes of the Sports Card Strategy Show, I mean, I have invested in some Pedri autos. Uh, I've invested in, you know, I'm I'm big on Gavi. I haven't bought on, I haven't bought Did any. You get of a Gavi card because he's he. I haven't found a Gavi card yet that I want to invest in because he's so new. So I'm still sort of waiting to. I'm I've been searching for a Gavi card, but like I, I have, you know, I have invested in like. I'll I'll show you guys in a second, but like I have, Kendall's convinced me to buy some Gio Reyna. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked about our my new love affair for Caden Clark. There's all these different guys. I'm debating on some Pulisic cards. So it's not just Fati. It's just that Fati. Like this, what I wanted to bring to the audience's attention is like this card right here, for example, a 2020 Topps Merlin Chrome Fati Refractor Auto. Normally would be like. Three ninety nine ninety five, like three like under four hundred dollars. Buy it now. I actually did make an offer for this card at three fifty, and it was declined. So that sort mm. of tells me a few things. Number one, the Fati market could be heating back up again, just because mm-hmm. he is about to yeah. return again. Number two, like if he wasn't injured, I think this card would be like if for whatever reason, like his injuries weren't as serious or whatever. Like this card would be a steal, I believe, at this price. Yeah. Um, I just think he's he's definitely like a controversial guy, just because if he wasn't injured, he like undoubtedly in my mind is like number one or number two on everyone's list. Like Fati, Fati, Fati is like the next. Like I think he's up there with Mbappe based on what I saw. But then he got injured, and now it's sort of like, well, is this is this kid ever gonna be? even a shell of what we thought he could be kind of thing. And so I just kind of wanted to, you know, I wanted to use this as one example of kind of your baseball analogy a minute ago mm-hmm. about yeah. you have a gut feeling on a guy and there's some, some markers coming up and you really believe then I think this would be a, this could be a card um, that uh, could pay off at this price potentially. But it, but it definitely is a huge risk. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a huge risk. So. Yeah, I think Fatih specific – I mean, if you would – like, Paul, if you would asked me 12 months ago, I'd have been all in on Fatih, and I would have told you, buy that card. It's going to be worth a bazillion dollars. Yeah. You know, and I would have been like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, the guy's scoring – I mean, he's he's got 14 goals and 36 appearances. That's almost a half it's goal ridiculous. a game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You, you can, and I mean, he's been halfway hurt most of those times. Yeah. 
I mean, he's even got one. He's got a goal and four caps for the national team. You know, like so that I mean, that's a quarter goal a game. Like that, that's nice. His expected goal percentage, I'm sure, is really high. His x x goal in terms of his analytics and stuff. And so this guy's probably going to be if he's on the field that level. But that that sentence, if he's on the field, is important. And unfortunately, the other two guys that we were really high on a couple of months ago also can't stay on the field. We've yeah. got G- Geo hurt himself in the first minute of the game this weekend, and Caden Clark can't get minutes yeah. because he can't get healthy. So it's looking it's looking to be like more just waiting, you know, and just holding and and just like I think that the moment will pay off for all three of those guys. Right. But it's just like you you have to be you have to be patient and you have to be ready to sell and then just know that if you do sell prematurely, you know, you better have a good strategic reason for doing that because you're going to take a big loss and that there there chances are there will be moments for these guys and they, they're oh, all absolutely. so young. They're all, they're so all young. under 20, all three yeah, of them. They're all, and, and we are prospecting, so it's, it's super young. Now, another guy that fits that mold that I'll just – two more guys that fit that mold just real quick. One is Eunice Musa. We've talked yeah. about him before. Um, I, I still love him. I'm just, I'm just noticing that there are some – you can see I'm winning a couple bids with, with less than 12 hours left on a couple of these cards, and they are – from the 2021 immaculate soccer set and they're they're each jersey autos numbered to 99 uh current bid current highest bids are both under a hundred dollars and i'm just wondering like uh you know they each have more than 10 bids on them so more than likely these are going to be 200 250 winning bids and that's not cheap so like what what's your advice on you know kind of leading up to the end of an ebay auction um, with a player like Eunice Musa and, and, and cards like these, what, what kind of advice would you give, would you give the audience, I guess on both Musa and just kind of in these situations in eBay auctions from your experience? Yeah, I, I love these, uh, immaculate patches. I think I've seen a bunch of them go. I've seen a bunch of, uh, Tim Weah ones go for really nice prices. It seems like there's a bunch of people that are making plays for these now. Um, six months ago, nobody, nobody was dealing in immaculate patch autos and it was crazy how cheap you could get them for a couple of americans um but this is potentially um a card that's going to sell really well it, it, i mean out of the four if, if you've got fati geo uh caden and, and musa musa is the most healthy <laughs> you know? and so um right now it might just be a guy like that you're like okay for sure he's going to play in nations league this summer you know, and then so he's also going to gain some hype in the summer, and then he's also going to gain some hype with the World Cup. So, um, for this guy specifically, I would say it's probably going to end up being around two, two fifty, a, a little bit like what you said. What I like to do is if I'm if I'm in interested in a card in an eBay auction, um, I I bef- but before twenty four hours left on a card, I don't make any bids. Um, so like I'll make a bid over 24 hours, you know, maybe a couple of days out just to know that I'm interested. So it's in my watch list per se, you know, so I get notifications if somebody outbids me, something like that. But inside of 24 hours, I don't make any bids, even if I'm losing, because I don't want to give another person a chance to say, you know, I'll drive this price up a little bit more. Oh, I'll drive this price up a little bit more. And so typically I wait within five minutes and then no matter what I'm doing, what I usually do is I'm like, yeah, I have to go to the bathroom anywhere I'm at. 
and I just sit in the stall and I just watch this uh, auction for five minutes and make sure. And typically with about 10 to 15 seconds left, I put my highest bid I'm comfortable with. And if I lose it, I lose it, you know, but at yeah. least I had a chance. Yeah. I think that's a modified strategy to mine and it's a little bit better than what I do. I've definitely learned and I'm glad we're having this conversation because it is something I think that most uh, sports card content creators fail to talk about um, is this eBay bidding strategy. And, and I've learned similarly that you are kind of bidding against yourself if you place a high, if you continuously bid on an auction outside of like maybe two hours left, you know, I think that like you could even go as close as five minutes. I think you're absolutely right. I think that like anything, especially anything outside of a day, you're like really, really bidding against yourself because you are, you are giving all these other people the opportunity to basically have to bid against you. And so, um, I think that the only, like I've lost auctions on tons of cards that I've wanted with a strategy other than that. And I've probably like artificially driven up the price with other people doing the same thing. Right. Um, I don't think that that's bad necessarily for the card market because ultimately you are getting somebody paying for these sales. But I do think that like to actually get your best chance at a bargain, so to say, it would be to do exactly what you said, Kendall, which is to like wait until the last minute you can possibly wait. My challenge is living in Spain, most of these auctions end while I'm asleep. And so my modified strategy is I typically will say, all right, this is the highest I am willing to pay. I am overpaying if I go any higher than this and I will go, I will just go there. Um, maybe add a few cents or something like that uh, at the end of it a dollar or whatever. So that I don't get outbid by just a stupid amount. But yeah, I am kind of, I'm kind of out of the running. So yeah, with these, with these Musa cards, I am a big fan of them. I'm, I'm debating, you know, how much money to put into him. I moved out of some other base stuff, but I still love him. And so now I'm looking at what cards are, mm -hmm. have the potential to actually go quite a bit higher based on his performance. The last guy I just wanted to mention uh, you can see, well, this is not the last guy, but you can see I've got Mike Giusecki in here. Uh, shout out to our guy, Andy Case <laughs> from Football Card Quest, who is all over Mike Giusecki. Yeah, I, he was. I'm, I'm, stopping, <laughs> I'm stopping at $10.50 on Mike Giusecki's rookie ticket. I'm just, it's just not really a card that I want to own, <laughs> to be honest, so I'm just going to stop. Um, <laughs> no offense to Andy, he's, he's probably right on him. But um, the guy I wanted to talk about is Yoao Felix, because... Um, he's super young. Uh, there seems to have been a lot of hype around him maybe a couple years ago when he came into La Liga. Yeah. Um, but he's seems to have like fallen off of everyone's radar in terms of like a soccer card investment. I don't know if that's because Atletico de Madrid hasn't really done anything in the last couple years, or I don't, I don't know if that's because Yoel Felix has, hasn't really done anything of note. I mean, he's on Portugal's national team. So in theory, he should be able to pair up with some pretty darn good players uh, and, and, and do some things. Um, but like, what, what's your take on this guy? Because he's not someone that we've talked about on the show and he just barely made it into the soccer card rankings at nooffseason.com. Yeah. He's not a guy that's in my top five. Uh, we'll just put it that way, but he's, he is a guy that's in my top 15. 
um, in terms of investments that I'm making. Um, I, I, I think he's getting overshadowed in a couple of different areas. Um, and I don't think that's uncommon. It's weird because he's a little bit older than some of the guys that are just popping off right now. So for instance, he's ancient at at 22 years old, you know? And so, uh, and he he has a guy that had the limelight and it's kind of gone away from it for a little bit but he's coming back and he's and he's scoring for a portugal team that's going to be really interesting this year i'm sure he's going to get a lot of media hype but it's going to be secondary media hype and and everybody knows the main portugal star in this world cup is going to be cristiano ronaldo they're every game they're going to talk about ronaldo they're ronaldo ronaldo but Felix does have an opportunity to, if he plays well and everybody is talking about Ronaldo, there's going to be no way you can avoid talking about him. I mean, he's a guy that's definitely stepping in place to be the next guy there for Portugal. I mean, he's got other players around him. There are several others. But uh, with Joao Felix, like, I wished he didn't go to Atletico, actually, because Atleti, uh, like, for some reason – People go to Atleti and then just lose value. I think to me in the in 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 uh, not in soccer in general, like not actual value, you know. In but hard, I'm talking like hard in, in, in hard value. Like when Griezmann went back there, I felt like his cards dropped. When when uh, any of the other guys that have gone to Atletico that I was like really excited about, I feel like their cards have dropped. For instance, I saw a media thing come out a couple of months ago that um, Halan may end up going to – They like, Atleti has had conversations about bringing him in. And I was just like, ah, I mean, I wish he had gone – like, I hope that does not happen. <laughs> because as much as that would be really great for his career and to be playing in a top league in Spain, Atleti might end up being the top team there soon. You know, like, the other two teams are kind of faltering in terms of they don't have their – guy other than junior is definitely very good and i'm not trying to say that real madrid is in question but barcelona definitely has some questions and atleti definitely has a time to step in to being more of a dominant player in la liga than they have been previously and although they have been very very good and top shelf you know they're definitely that top three team in la in la liga but they're definitely still three you know, like the, maybe maybe they have a chance to move up in that ranking in the next couple of years. But right now with Joao Felix, I wish he was just on a different team. Yeah. <laughs> because the, it's like nobody gets super excited about Atleti except for like the five kids in the back room that are like, and everyone's like, yeah, those are those crazy Atleti fans. You know, like even <laughs> yeah, when I, I mean, was like when I went to Madrid uh, um, two years ago, we literally landed at the airport, and the and I'm sure you know this, but in Madrid, the Atleti Stadium is actually close to the airport. And so you drive by it, or we did in particular, to the place we were going. We were, like, staying south of Spain. And it's a little bit outside of town. Like, it's a little bit south sider type feel. The stadium is kind of just out in the open. Like, there's a – but then I had to take, like, 30 trains to get to the Bernabeu. And yeah. when I got there, I was like, holy cow, this is definitely the team everybody cares about yeah. here. Like, even people in Madrid, they were like, they didn't even consider Atleti like the team that's in their city. Yeah. And I'm just like, they've always been number two, you know? And it's like, 
it, it's just uh, I still feel like that is playing on some things as well. So unfortunately, Joao Felix is in my top 15 because of those things, even though like even though in terms of performance, in terms of skill and ability, I mean, he's probably way up there. But I think due to some other media factors, which we've seen affect card values in, in every sport, not, not every time is the best player the most valuable card. And so um, sometimes it has a lot to do with their media hype and what team they're on and a lot of that kind of stuff. So Yeah, and there's like at least five or six other guys that I want to dig into. But Kendall is also the host of the Soccer Card Strategy Show on the nooffseason.com sports card content network. So we'll get into more of that on an upcoming episode of the soccer card strategy show, but let's get back to baseball real quick. Cause I want to give you some time to talk about this purchase that you made. <laughs> yes, Paul, I'm so excited about this. Like I have been looking for one of these Mike Trout cards forever. Like even before I was really, like gung-ho and investing like when I just had a bunch of cards I was like man I'd love to have a Mike Trout rookie card you know just from like not even really knowing how much it was worth and so um, I was chatting with a buddy the other day and we actually just play fantasy together we play fantasy baseball together and we're on our slack channels and he's talking to me and he goes um, I had said something about how I had some, we were talking about a trade of a player and I was like, yeah, I particularly like that player on your team. If I'm going to, if you're going to throw in one, you know, like, you know how those fantasy transactions go. And, um, with all that, he was like, yeah, you know, like, and he's really big on Miguel Vargas, which I also like Miguel Vargas, but he was like, wanted him big time and he was going to overpay for him. And I was like, okay, why? And he was like, Miguel Vargas, I have like 25 Miguel Vargas autos, like Bowman Chrome autos. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know you collected cards. You know, like I do that for like a business, right? And he was like, no, I didn't. So then we got to talking about it. And he goes, dude, I actually have, I found out that I have a Mike Trout rookie card that has been in a top loader in a box for the last 11 years that hasn't even seen sunlight. And I was like, what? And he showed it to me and I was like, I will buy that from you right now, right now. And he was like, I don't even know what it's worth. I was like, I'll give you $450 today if you get that in the mail. And he was like, dude, that's huge for my family. And I was like, I'm not kidding. I will Venmo you. And he was like, uh, oh, okay. And so he did that. And I was just like, I got one. And so typically the reason why I was so excited to particularly get this one from him is he sent me some pictures of it and it is mint. And I have it next to me right now, actually. Here it is. I put it in a little one touch here, but I mean, I saw some pictures of it and it was absolutely mint. And it, when I got it in my hands, I was like, this is a perfect card. Edges and corners are incredible. And this was the card I was really looking for because unlike the one on your screen right now, this is the Bowman rookie card of, of, uh, of uh, Mike Trout, but the red Jersey one is a, it has a lower pop. And it is his Bowman Chrome rookie card. And so, like, that specifically red jersey Bowman card was the one that I was really, really looking for. And as you can tell, there's a bazillion and a half uh, Mike Trout cards that are valuable. So I ended up getting it at $450, which is a little bit of an overpay in terms of what it's like on the market right now. As you're looking at it, it's about $400, um, between $400 and, and $450. 
Um, but I think I feel like Mike Trout is at his floor considering the injuries from last year. I think he's a guy that's definitely going to have perennial uh, value. Like, I mean, people are already talking about him being one of the best ever. I've always, I've always wanted this red jersey Bowman Chrome card because of the black borders and everything. It's like super unique, and I was able to get it at a good price with a guy I trusted, and uh, I brought it home and I'm sending it to PSA today. So beautiful move. I mean. Just a few comments on this. This card in particular is an example of like, you can still grade with PSA and immediately make good returns because you've got $450 into this card. You're probably going to put 50 or 60 more into it. And you've got PSA 10 selling right now for over 2,500. But to your point, I agree with you. This is at its floor, I believe. So like, um, yeah, Mike Trout's in our top. What's the chart look like? Mike, yeah, while we look at the chart, I mean, Mike, Mike Trout, so the PSA 10's up a little bit over the last... That's over the last 30 days. days. The raw is down a little bit, not that much, but over the last 30 days. So it's, it's, about, it's about even over the last 30 days. Um, but I think that the, the, that's a, probably a good sign because I think you... To me, that's a sign of... I mean, we can all manipulate the data into whatever we want it to be, but to me, this is a sign of, okay, everyone's kind of realizing this guy's a goat and he is coming back and he's, there's no reason why he can't have another amazing season. He's still young. And so he's like, and three games into the season, he's destroying the baseball. And so I'm like, yes, sir, Mike, let's just get on the mic train. Let's go. Let's yeah, exactly. So we, we moved him up. I had like a, Oh shit moment where I was updating the investment report and I was like, Oh, Mike Trout's back. He's got to be in our top 40 for sure. So he's, he's back up in the top 40. And I think um, in the top 15 or 20 overall baseball players, which is saying something considering most of them are prospects, you know, to have like one of the greatest of all time back up in a buy now moment, you don't get that very often. So I think this was a great play by you. And uh, anything else you want to add about like buying a goat card? Um, I would say, so the reason why I overpaid and why it took me so long to get one is because typically I have seen them on eBay and the mint ones, the ones that you really would want to buy, people put them on there knowing that you're going to grade this and get 10x. And so they put them on there for six, $700 when the price of it's really around 450 you know, around 400 right now. And so what I would have been seeing is I'll see one for like 390 to 410 and it'll have a really bold print mark on it or like one of the corners is dinged or something. And I'm like, I've been holding out knowing, okay, Kendall, you know, you like this card, you know, you want this specific card. This is from, for what it's worth. This was like a Holy grail card for me. You know, like this is one, like I now have to go figure out, okay, what's my next card I'm shooting for. You know, because this one was one of those for me. Um, and so when I had looked at some of those auctions on eBay, they just put it on just by looking at it on terms of the eBay sales and stuff like that. It was not where I wanted it to be in terms of price. And so this one was specifically very uh, unique situation where I was able to get in a little bit higher than floor price, but um, 
but because of the situation where it was a buddy of mine and he, you know, like he never, he doesn't necessarily collect and invest. And so for him, he was able, I think they were able to pay off their car with it. So it was like, he, it was a awesome move for him and yeah. all his, in his mind. And, but for me, I'm like, it's an awesome move for me in my mind. So it's ended up being a, a win-win. And sometimes you don't always get to just uh, rely on the perfect opportunities, but this one was one of those that just kind of fell in my lap. Yeah, that's awesome. Good, good deal. Good example of like being patient, knowing that there's a card that you want in a specific condition for a certain price that you have a plan for and you executed it. And I look forward to hearing more about the Mike Trout journey. Uh, hopefully we'll get an update when you get it back from PSA and what oh, you want to do, will. <laughs> what you want to do with it there. So that's actually a good segue into the next topic. PSA subbing, I think is kind of back. Um, at least it is in my mind, I'm starting to look, I'm starting to look at cards with that in mind potentially. So, uh, what are your thoughts on PSA subbing right now? What do you got going on? So this is a little bit of a, uh, little bit of a, uh, a promotion of wild cards. Um, so what we decided to do was for those of you guys that are not aware, PSA has lowered their price back down to an economy standard of a $50 submission for a non-autoed card. If there, here's a caveat here with an asterisk of if, if you are a, um, a, a PSA submission club participant, which is I think a hundred dollars a month. Um, and so potentially if you're just trying to submit one card, it's actually cheaper for you to go submit it to the hundred dollar valuation uh, but you're still, you're, I mean, it better be a Mike Trout per se. Like you better have enough window in there that a $100 submission is not going to ding your, your potential return. And so that's not really capable for a lot of people. But what Wildcards has, has done as a business, so me and T have subscribed to the PSA list and we get about 20 uh, submissions every uh, Tuesday and Thursday. So for instance, we could submit 40 cards a week if we wanted to. And so what we've done is we've said, okay, we're going to hold like maybe three to five spots a week for T and I to like invest in our, our cards, but then everything else is up open to anybody who wants to submit with us. And so what we've tried to do is give that a access point to somebody who wanted to just submit a, a so what we are doing just to be completely clear is we're just making a $10 profit, including shipping on it. And so it's like we charging 60 bucks for you to send us a card that is like, for instance, this Bobby Witt Jr. over on my shoulder. That's just a, uh, a Bowman Chrome 10. So this one would be a, a $60 submission through us. An auto would be a $70 submission through us because um, PSA is saying $50 for a PSA graded non-auto and 60 for an auto. So $10 markup. We're just trying to give people accessibility to getting their favorite cards in the most high quality slab that you can do for your investment portfolio. Um, I just hate it when people have like a Bowman Chrome out of five incredible auto and they go and they put it in like a FCG slab. And I'm just like, you just killed that card. You literally murdered that card because now you're going to have to sell it for basically raw value or maybe less because now that person knows that they are going to have to work extra hard to either crack the slab or submit it to a crossover or something like there's just a lot of variables. And so 
we are just we just were like we're gonna put down that we know that we can get at least 10 of these a month for people that are really excited about submitting so find a service like that maybe if it's not ours maybe it's local to your city go into your card shop see if they have some kind of deal like that um it's actually pretty popular like we're not obviously the first ones to think about it um but we do have that if you if you'd like that as a service as well you can hit me up on twitter if you want that um and we'll get you connected but in regards to why it is a good opportunity now is paul we know this we've looked at charts and i think over the last couple of years we're like you know like maybe who's number two it's not even close like psa is the they're the they're the top dogs like if you want top dollar for your card it's got to be in a clear and red slab like there's just i mean people almost turn up their nose at a table if it's not in a PSA slab. Like it can be a beautiful SGC 10 or a Beckett black label even. And people are just like, ah, rather have a PSA 10. And I'm like, yeah, I don't quite get that, you know, like, but at the same time, the market does what the market does. And we've talked a lot about how sometimes we have to be more uh, less about our own personal interests and more about what the market's doing, right? I mean, you, you talked about that a few uh, weeks ago about how you were like some of the soccer guys that I'm like, I want them to be valuable, but the market just doesn't have them where I want, where I have them. And yeah. sometimes I have SGC higher than the market has the SGC. But at the same time, I want value for my card, so I'm going to have to submit it to PSA. It's just part of the game sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And so like... I think, for example, I'll give I'll give a few real life examples where I I look at this and I say, all right, well, if you don't want it in an SGC slab and an SGC slab isn't as valuable as a PSA slab, I know that SGC grades comparably hard to PSA. Some people say even harder. I mean, I don't even really want to get into that. The, the point is like, if you have an SGC 10, there's a good chance it would be a PSA 10. And so plays for me that I've, you know, I bought this Darius Garland uh, rookie auto 10, 10 in an SGC slab. And I think if I crossed this over to PSA and it got a 10, uh, it would up the value. At least I think it would double the value. I think um, just ba- I don't think, I mean, I think that based on the research that I've done. Same thing with this Devin Booker. This is a true gem mint BGS 9.5 that I got for significantly less than a PSA 10. Uh, this is a Giannis. So I do have a couple specific questions for you, though. So, so this is a Beckett authenticated autograph on a Giannis NBA Hoops rookie. Now, the card itself is probably less than $15. The fact that Giannis has signed it and it's authenticated makes it probably more like a potentially $750 card. Um, and so, but I, I do know that if, if this were graded and authenticated by PSA, let's say it's even a PSA eight uh, with, a, with a 10 auto, just the fact that it's in that slab, I think potentially doubles the value to $1,500. Um, the Sorry. same thing with this Jerry Rice. So this is a Jerry Rice... 1986 rookie and it's an authenticated auto and it's in an old PSA slab. So I'm looking at making two potential, I'm actually looking at making 
two to four potential plays, one potentially with each of these cards. Because a Jerry Rice, if this card were graded and the autos authenticated in a PSA slab, in a new PSA slab, I bought this card for about $250. I think that all of a sudden this could be like a $1,250 card if it's, say, graded a PSA 8 with an, auto, with an authenticated auto. Um, I might not be exact on those numbers, but my, I guess I have a twofold question to you. A, am I on the right track? And B, do you happen to know what's the, what's the safest and best way to get these crossover graded with the card grade and the auto authenticated by PSA? Because what I don't want to do is open myself up for, P, for the risk of PSA looking at either of these autos again and going, well, we don't know and like, whatever. What I was thinking of doing is bringing them to the national and going to the PSA booth and trying to figure out like what, like asking somebody at PSA, you know, can you do it? Like what's the cost of them doing it at the national? And is that safer than actually sending them into PSA? It's kind of a loaded question, but what's your take overall on it? <laughs> Uh, if you want to stand in the line at PSA, uh, at the national, go for it. You know, it's like a mile and a half long. So then but... I miss, I miss the whole national is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some, I mean, if you get the, or like, if you have the early bird access or whatever, where you can get in 30 minutes earlier than everyone else, like if you bought that ticket and you just go early in the morning and just go straight to the PSA booth, you you should be fine. Um, but if you like are midday and some, all these breakers have been breaking all this product, somebody finds a car they like, they all of a sudden bang one, you know, an out of five auto rookie patch auto of Justin Herbert or something, they're yeah. going straight to the PSA booth with it. And yeah. that happens a lot at the national. Uh, so basically if you get there early in the morning, you should be fine. But what I would do, and I know that I, I've considered some crossovers myself. Um, I have two Beckett nine fives that I think would grade out a, 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 as a PSA 10 um, for, for autos. And then I also have a um, Holland Beckett nine five that I want in a PSA 10. And so I'm considering some crossovers as well. And what I've researched into it is if you send a crossover in the mail, um, they'll actually evaluate the card in the slab first. They won't break the slab and then look at it. Um, and so you can say like, Hey, I want to cross over this BGS nine five, but if it, if it's a PSA 10, then, then I want it crossed over. If you think it's a PSA nine, then just send it back to me. Um, and so potentially that could be what you do if you didn't do the in-person with these, um, for instance, if you, if you feel like the, uh, Jerry Rice might not be an authentic signature or something like that. Or, you know, if it grades out, like I can't see the uh, whole card here, but maybe if it's, um, yeah, it looks like it's centered up and down, not well. Um, you know, like, so you might get dinged for that, maybe a nine or eight, but either way, like with a goat card, it's a little different, you know, like a, an eight, nine, isn't so bad if it's a vintage goat card. Um, yeah. so this looks, yeah. I mean, looks like the corners are pretty good. That bottom right one may have a light soft. Um, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. I think you definitely should take it into, uh, to the national. I think that's probably the move that I would do. Yeah. The back's pretty off centered, um, up to down as well. Um, that, that's pretty common for vintage cards too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 
I just feel like in a, even just to have this in a, in a new slab would, would increase the value a little bit just because. I also think PSA does that too. I think there is a service to where they can update the slabs. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, uh, next up on the docket here, um, let's talk about just some before and after real quick, because I want to get your take on, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of the window of selling prospect cards within the major league season and so i think we we missed one marker with o'neill cruz because he didn't get the call up now Mm -hmm. the the next logical marker is that when he does get called up and one thing you and i were kind of texting about is you know what the fact that O'Neill Cruz didn't get the call up and that was kind of surprising, disappointing. Um, looking into his just, I won't bore the audience with it, but in general, we haven't really seen many sales since he didn't get the call up. Thus, there really hasn't been a dip in his value. So initially that tells me that everyone's just sort of holding O'Neill Cruz. Am I right to assume that there's going to be a marker, there's going to be a moment when he does get called up? And is that, do you sell your O'Neill Cruz investments when that when the news of that breaks? What do you do with O'Neill Cruz? Um, I was pretty surprised that this happened, first off. Uh, I was pretty surprised that, so what, what, what is happening here is O'Neill Cruz is suffering from something that was in one of the major discussions of the collective bargaining agreement over the last summer or uh, winter. So the reason, one of the reasons why they were fighting is called service time manipulation. For instance, the way that the current uh, argument, well, the the last argument was set up is um, if a player had any sort of service time uh, set up to where, they could delay it by a certain period of time and get the at-bats down below a certain level at-bats in terms of how many times he swings the bat during the season. Um, If it gets down below a certain level, his contract would go a year longer. For instance, they would have him for seven years instead of six years under the same price point of his rookie deal. So what, what that was a big discussion because teams are holding players back from being in the major leagues just so that they can have them a year longer at a cheaper price point. So it's, it's benefiting only the club and the player suffers from it. They can not only can they experience injuries potentially in the minor leagues, but they could also get stunted by that. And at the same time towards the back end of their career or like towards the back end of that contract, they should already have been available to have a mass deal before their age 27 season instead of having a, uh, having a 27, 28-year-old going into free agency rather than a 26, 27-year-old going into free agency. So it's a really big um, uh, stickler point for a lot. That's what a lot of the discussions were around this offseason. But unfortunately, it doesn't change until next year. Um, and so this actually is one of – the last probable times that we'll see service time manipulation happen the way it's happened over the past 20 ish years. Uh, And O'Neill's is unfortunately suffering from it again. The beneficial part of this is the prices are still low enough to where I believe you can still get in and make some decent money on him. 
the and so at one level it's kind of given us a longer window to buy him but as you can tell there's not a lot of cards moving because people expect that to just pop off right as he enters uh the major league baseball so he is with triple a he's with the indianapolis indians right now and he is absolutely crushing the ball what the pirates are um allowing him to do is they're also trying him out in left field to sit to figure out if he can add some position eligibility as well um, that's just a benefit of him being in Indianapolis right now. They wouldn't have done that at the major league level. I believe he will be the starting shortstop for the Pirates. But um, at the same time, I have one of uh, his Bowman Chrome autos list for 400 on online because I believe it'll get to that very quickly once he gets brought up in late April. And so it's about a month where we're not going to see O'Neill Cruz in Pittsburgh. And so you potentially have a month to figure it out. And as long as he doesn't get injured in Indianapolis, which by the way, my friend Jack McMullen is the uh, commentator for the Indianapolis Indians and he is phenomenal. So shout out to Jack. I've been watching a lot of O'Neill Cruz and Jack, you are one of the best commentators play by play guys I've ever, ever heard of. Uh, I, I believe you're going to be in the MLB someday. And for a young guy that's in his young twenties, dude, you're incredible what you do. Uh, but anyway, O'Neill Cruz is definitely still going to pop off and it's just going to be later this month instead of right now. I like to hear that because I'm waiting on a O'Neill Cruz moment. Um, as you know, I bought this card on the show, the <laughs> 2016 Bowman Chrome. What a sick card. Auto PSA 10 uh, for about $650. So <laughs> I'm hoping that. Dude, that's six, you on. paid $650 for that, and I have one listed on eBay raw for $400. That's got to make you feel good. I feel good, about, I feel good about our guy. And I still love him because they misspelled his name on the card. Yeah. So and he was that. still like low enough to be like, oh, well, I'll sign him anyway. <laughs> That's right. And you can see this is from my PWCC vault. And I decided, this is just a quick sidebar. I decided today that PWCC needs to sponsor the show because I think I'm the only one that ever talks in a positive way about how well the PWCC vault treats me and my business. And so I think that uh, I'm going to continue to do that and that they should, they should sponsor the show to incentivize us to continue to talk about them, especially because they're getting competition. Here's the real reason why they need to sponsor because eBay is launching a vault. No way. Yes. So why would I not really with eBay's vault knowing that, I can just buy, I do most of my purchasing on eBay and I have, and I have my order shipped to the PWCC vault. Mm. So I talked to my wife about this the other day. I'm like, why wouldn't I, when eBay launches the vault, just basically ship it directly to the eBay vault. I have to assume that they would incentivize with some lower shipping cost or no, or free shipping or something to get people like me to use the eBay vault over the PWCC. That's kind of sick. See what happens. Yeah. The eBay vault, would definitely make more sense um, unless PWCC, you know, incentivizes some, some in some way to continue to, to use their vault. But they've been great. You know, I, in the meantime, I'm going to continue using them and maybe test out the eBay vault. So, um, all right. So then the other guy I wanted to talk about in the same vein as O'Neill Cruz is my guy Riley Green in Detroit oh, yeah. because he unfortunately fractured his foot 
And so he's got a, you know, a hopeful return date. We're not sure. Maybe June. I think it sounds hopeful. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing post-injury. Like, I don't really see a lot of sales. And the sales that I do see are not that different in price than the sales, at least on his bigger cards, um, his affordable, his achievable bigger cards. Um, <laughs> they don't seem that different than than the sales pre-injury. So is that is that a similar indicator that the market is still – pretty high on an upcoming moment for Riley Green in the big leagues and that we should we should expect something to 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 increase his card value uh this year. Yeah, a unique thing about about baseball specifically is these prospects people have a lot of time to get in on them before they get to the major leagues typically. And so you see a lot of emotional interest into whoever people have been prospecting and I don't think that's always the same in other in other sport uh, cards so for instance if a guy I was to get injured in another sport and I you could see his potential drop happen pretty quickly so in in baseball specifically that people have a lot more emotional attachment to some of these things I think because they have so much longer to get in on these guys and for instance you saw that with Jared Kelnick last year where people were all in on him for so long because it was so big with the Rob, uh, uh, Robinson Cano trade and the Mets made a horrible decision, that whole thing. And then Kelnick came in and kind of just kind of like crapped his pants all over the, uh, all over the league for half a season. And his prices really didn't drop like they should have probably. And unfortunately he's not really playing super well in the, in the three games that have that have come out so far he had a pretty good spring but he's not playing as good as people expected him to come up in and so um but his value is still there so i think that's another example of how baseball cards specifically have a longer threshold on the downside um then, for instance, some of the like the earlier we talked about how you you see a peak and then after it like there's just a sharp drop off. There's not always a sharp drop off with the players that have been around for a couple of years and prospects. We did see a sharp drop off for guys like Yerman Mercedes last year, where he busted onto the scene. Everybody needed to have his cards, and then a few weeks later he wasn't good, and then all of a sudden there was just like. It was like everything in his value was super small. And so I feel like the longer the buildup, the longer the decrease, the more runway they have to kind of figure it out. And Riley is going to be one of those guys. Um, I don't think anybody's particularly nervous about his injury. It's not a, it's not a injury that's going to particularly like nag him if he heals well from it. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it it makes you feel like a little like a little scared <laughs> because you know like you wanted him to be out there but at the same time um additionally uh, sorry i'll finish this thought before i get distracted on another one but uh, so riley green is definitely going to come into a fun team to watch and he's definitely going to be able to have a lot of runway and i think riley green is a super 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 athletic and honestly, I would invest in Riley Green more than I would invest in Spencer Torkelson. So, uh, it, and most people are like, what the heck are you doing? You know, like that guy's number one pick. And I was like, that guy only plays first base. And that guy could potentially be a DH. And that guy says he's going to play third base. No way. He's like 100 and 
50 pounds bigger than any other third baseman I've ever seen. And so, but then when you look at Riley play, not only is he great at the plate, not only does he run well, the guy's diving all over the field. He's making great plays. I would just rather invest in a guy like Riley Green, and I'm assuming that I'm not the only one in that, in that, in that, um, that little situation. So where I was going to get distracted a second ago, the Tigers are fun to watch, my guy. Yes, they are. They wow. Are. I don't know if you caught any of the games this I'm, weekend. but I have. I've, I've got the streaming app. The MLB TV app is great. Um, I, can, I can watch all the games from Spain, which is not common because usually we're, we're blacked out. Um, but I've been able to watch. I watched Javi Baez's off-the-wall walk-off single, which was amazing. Um, and then you, sh- you shouted out your boy in Indy, Jack, who's the play-by-play. I got to shout out my boy, Matt Shepard, uh, is the play-by-play guy for the Detroit Tigers. Shep okay. and I go way back to the days where at 21 years old, I was the Detroit Shock PR director traveling on the road with Bill Lambeer and the ladies of the Detroit Shock. And my only other, my only other, uh, male counterpart other than Lambeer was Matt Shepard, who is the play-by-play WNBA Detroit Shock. And he was working his way up. He was trying to break through with the Pistons. He was a sideline reporter and he's worked his way. He's worked his ass off and he's worked his way up. Not only was he the University of Michigan basketball, men's basketball play-by-play, but now he's the Detroit Tigers play-by-play guy for Bally Sports. So I know that's a dream of his. So shout out, Shep. Good work, my man. It's great to hear your voice. And uh, I miss you, man. But, it's, but, but like hearing his voice and watching the Tigers, they are fun to watch. I'm very, very excited. And um, actually, Kendall, this, believe it or not, segues into kind of my next question before we bring on um, our expected guest, Paul Fisher, to talk some golf and hockey cards. But um, like you mentioned Kellenic last year, kind of shit in the bed, right? Torkelson doesn't have a hit yet. And, and we've got Julio Rodriguez, who kind of has the hype that Kellenic had for the same franchise. So is, are guys like Julio Rodriguez and Spencer Torkelson going to live up to the hype like Wander? Or are they going to kind of shit the bed like Kellenic? What you, you, what's your hot take on that? <laughs> I loved this question when I saw it in the rundown because man what a question you know <laughs> first off I don't first off I don't know if anybody is going to be as good as Wander you know like I don't think anyone's going to have that kind of success I think he's definitely once in a generation type player um, and that's saying a lot and I you know a year ago I was like a little iffy on what he would do in the major leagues and as soon as he busted out it was just like okay this guy is as good as I thought he was going to be you know um but so for these two guys specifically I think that they are neither and here's why I think they're going to be in the middle somewhere um well not torque let me let me talk about Julio first so I think Julio is going to end up being better than Kelnick even though Kelnick might end up being a more catalytic player in terms of his media presence, which we've talked about a million times is very good for card value. Kelnick is going to be a guy that's going to have a cult following. Like he's going to be a guy that's just like people just either love him or hate him. And as long as he kind of like stays, um, 
like he doesn't pull a Trevor Bauer or something like that and does some crazy stuff. It, people will just like, there will be fans that are just mega Kellenic fans just because of the way that he's come around and the way that he like plays the game with as much energy as he does. And that's just the things that make Kellenic Kellenic. Um, people are going to be a certain Kellenic market. There's going to be that. Now, Julio, Julio might be one of the best players in the league someday. You know, like he is just so good. And I think he also uh, will probably end up getting good um, like media deals, like not, not NIL deals, but kind of that kind of thing. Cause I think people will start gravitating towards the next generation of players soon. And he seems like a guy who's very welcome to the limelight. I don't know if you saw any of his stuff about like welcome to opening day, you know, but he's like, he's, he took to social media, which baseball doesn't really have that. They don't have a guy that, that really is taking over uh, like they wanted Mike Trout to be that guy, but Mike Trout just doesn't really care. Mike Trout just wants to play baseball. Right. But they don't have a guy that's like a star and also like wants to be like the ambassador of the sport. You know, like we don't have a Derek Jeter right now. And so um, I think Julio could be that, you know, like he was tweeting all over the place when he was like, I can't, this has been my dream come true. And he like, like changed it to 44. He's got his own logo already. Like, like this guy, I potentially stars could align where this guy ends up being one of the faces of the league. And um, adversely, I think Kelnick also would, will, will benefit from that because they're on the same team, but that's a different point. But J rod is going to be in the middle somewhere. Torkelson will be a different story. Um, I think there, I think there is a ticking clock on the Torkelson market, and here's why: I think he's going to be really good, but I think that he's going to take the more path of like a Nelson Cruz type player rather than a Mike Trout type player. I think he's going to end up a guy who's just mashes forever, but doesn't. He's never really the guy that's like all over. The, you know. He's a guy – for some reason, there's guys in baseball that mash, but that's all they do. And I think Torkelson might be one of those kind of guys. Okay. So, real quick before we bring on our guest, Paul Fisher, I'm going to run you through a mini gauntlet here. Oh, yes. And, uh, I love the gauntlets. I'm going to use the Baseball Card Strategy Show episode that, that we put out last week to name some guys that you mentioned on that show and tell you that you have $2,000 to spend on these guys, or you have $2,000 to spend on this will hit home for you. Six. Yeah, don't, 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 don't tell them yet. Home. Don't tell them yet. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> or <laughs> you can spend $2,000 on these guys, Josh Lowe, Jer- uh, Jeremy Pena, Ellie De La Cruz, Andy Rodriguez, and Nick Gonzalez. Which of the which of those guys? Let's first pick pick as many of those guys as you want to spend two K on. Okay. Who would you pick? And maybe just give a ge- generalization of the type of cards. So if I had to pick only one of them, is that what you're asking? 
You can pick one, you can pick two, but obviously if you pick two, then you're splitting the cards that you get, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think, oh, shoot, these guys are so good. Um, you literally took like some of my, like five favorite players in the game and we're like, you can only pick one. That's um, right. That's right. Narrow it down, my man. Oh, right now. It, okay, so the, this could just completely change in a month. But right now, I'm taking $2,000 and putting it down on, on uh, like, what? oh, shoot, hold on. Um, dang, Paul, there's just a lot to think about here. Okay, so am I buying the cards right now, or do I have $2,000 worth of cards right now? You're buying them right now. Oh, okay. Well, then Jeremy Pena is out of it because his market has kind of already exploded. Okay. Um, but Good. in terms of my long-term play, I would have said Jeremy Pena – because I, he's already got major league at bats and he's already tearing up the league. And okay. so I'm going to pick the proven guy. So I'm going to kind of take him out of the equation for a second. Josh Lowe is a little bit in that equation because he did make the major league roster, but he hasn't really done anything yet. His prices haven't really popped. I mean, they have, but not like, not like it has in Jeremy's case. So that narrows it down to Indy, Nick, and, and Ellie for me. And gosh, those guys are going to be good. Um, I'll take 2k worth of, uh, of, I'll take 2k worth of Ellie. All right. Nice. And so, so Ellie is Ellie in the, he's coming up, right? Like he does, does he have cards yet? Or is he coming up in the Bowman 2020, uh, Bowman 2022? <laughs> That's what makes your next question very hard. Yeah. So you might as well go ahead and ask the next question first. So you can buy uh, Ellie De La Cruz singles for 2K, which I believe are in coming up Bowman 2022 baseball. Or yeah. you can buy, get this, inside joke, six sealed boxes, hobby boxes of Bowman 2022 baseball for $2,000. Andy Rodriguez, sorry, Ellie De La Cruz singles or the, the sealed boxes? Which would you pick and why? Is a major um, piece of that 2022 Bowman section for me. And so if I am going to pick the six boxes, I'm hoping I have a ton of Ellie in those six boxes. And so I'm, <laughs> it's a little bit different. I'm going to end up choosing the wax. And here's why. Because not only is Ellie in the wax, um, but... And I know that I could recoup. I probably couldn't have $2,000 worth of Ellie unless I pulled a, a ridiculous card. But I also have several other guys that I love in that checklist. Plus, I could hold because it's going to be Wander's rookie card wax. And I'm definitely going to just hold that. Um, I think all Wander rookie cards are going to go ridiculous this year and probably keep that value because I don't really see him going anywhere. Um, he's got a super stable game. And just the type of professional he is, I could see it going really well. So that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to choose the six boxes of sealed wax, just like you did, Paul. Yep, full transparency. I actually made that investment, 2K worth of 2022 Bowman baseball sealed wax coming up, six hobby boxes. So fingers crossed. I think, you know, hopefully that's a good class. We'll see. But um, we are excited to bring on our guest for today's episode. Uh, his name is Paul Fisher, and uh, Paul is in Canada. He runs a business in Canada 
that he basically funded by investing very wisely in sports cards, uh, starting with hockey cards in the 90s. And uh, he also invests in golf cards and, and knows quite a bit about basketball cards. So we're really excited to have Paul Fisher on. He's a member of the Sports Card Investment Report at NoOffSeason.com. We've been trading emails for a few months now, and he's always got some great insights. So we're super excited to have him on the Sports Card Strategy Show. Hey, Paul Fisher, how you doing, my man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. Oh, so I am super, super interested in what you have to say because when I was reading this little bio and you funded your own company through investing in sports cards, not in this bull market that we're in right now in terms of the last three years, tell us about that, man. Yeah, it's interesting. It's been like this lifelong affair with cards. You know, I, uh, I, I was a kid and I just fell in love with that's the box scores. I remember, you know, my dad would bring the paper home and I probably was four or five years old and just obsessed with sports stats, cards, you know, the back of the card. It was, it was just this thing I was enamored with. And I, uh, I was super fortunate in a kid as a kid. Uh, I inherited a nice little vintage hockey card collection through one of my uncles. And I guess I probably started looking at values before anyone else my age was. And uh, that was right, you know, the start of the junk wax era, you know, 90s upper deck. And, you know, I'd, I'd buy those packs and, and rip them and trade off whatever, whatever 90s stuff I had for whatever I could get that was vintage. And I fell in love with, you know, Bobby Orr. And, you know, it's one of those things with cards. You, sometimes in life, it's you come back to it. I took some time off when I went away to school. You know, my focus was on, you know, getting, getting my degree and, uh, by the tail end of uh, university, I was back to trading cards again. I'd uh, kind of moved away from hockey and fallen in love with late 50s baseball and early 60s baseball. And, you know, I'd break sets. I'd, I'd, I invested a decent amount of money in Mickey Mantle stuff and uh, ended up, uh, you know, obviously the market hasn't, it wasn't what it, what it is now in vintage baseball. Some of that Mantle stuff I really wish I had kept, uh, you know, held on to, but I was able to do quite well with it and sell it off and, uh, you know, turn the proceeds of that into my first business. Again, I, you know, I kind of doubled down, put all my effort into growing this business. And, uh, you know, I, I guess pre pandemic, I, I just started like looking at cards again. I was like, man, this is, I, I, I needed a hobby. I needed something to take my mind off of work. I, you know, I, I grinded, I, I work hard. Um, I needed something that brought me like kind of that childhood joy and cards were it for me. And, um, you know, like it, it was just so interesting to watch what's happened over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I popped back in, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm as falling as closely as I did maybe at the start of the pandemic. I mean, that was crazy what happened in the market. That was fun. I mean, obviously the market went nuts. There were some huge returns that were made and, fortunate to capitalize on a couple that were just, you know, you, you, you can't hit ROIs like that anywhere else. So uh, the, the game is a little different right now. You know, I, I think the, I think the industry is maturing. Um, I, I, I'm super bullish on it long-term. I've always believed that cards are an alternative investment class. Um, I think, you know, the market goes quite a lot higher from where we are here, but I think it's changing. I think it's, you know, it's becoming super sophisticated, um, we've seen some major changes in pricing over the last couple of years. I, I don't think, you know, everyone says, uh, could a recession be really bad for cards? 
I think that, you know, people make money as stock pickers in down markets as well. I think there's money to be made in cards all the time, but it is really interesting how the market is continuing to evolve. And, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed your content, Paul, like you produce, holy smokes, you put out a lot of stuff and that's, uh, that's fun for me. I follow along. I love the fact that you guys are on LinkedIn and you, you know, you, you produce a lot of content on LinkedIn, which I don't see a lot of people doing. Uh, it's great for me because I network a lot on LinkedIn and, you know, people in my industry, people in, you know, in, in business here in Canada. So that's how I was kind of turned on, turned on to, you know, what, what you were producing. And uh, I enjoyed, I love the rankings, you know, the fact that you got the website with the top hundred. I know I've uh, kind of given my input on a couple and I just think that that's really interesting. I'm always curious to see what other people are thinking. And I love the fact that your content focuses in on some alternative investing in, you know, in the scheme of cards, F, whether it's F1 or, you know, UFC, you guys are soccer, you guys are talking about stuff that others aren't. I think that that's awesome. And I think that's actually where the greatest opportunity in sports cards is right now. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. You, you've definitely, um, you're definitely like making this community what it is. We want to try to build this community. And so getting feedback from very, very smart people like yourself is important to me and, and having you be part of things. So I appreciate you helping us create the content and, and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. It's like, you know, I think it's like any other business, right? Like if I probably asked you, you know, this is a conversation for another day, another show, but like, if I asked you, how was your business when you first started it in terms of, you know, your golf business, you'd probably tell me it's a lot better now than it was back then because it's <laughs> the lessons that you learned. So that's where I'm at with no off season. I'm learning, I'm learning my lessons and trying to make things better. So thank you yeah. for your part in that. So, Hey Paul, I wanted to jump in to some some sports card specific questions after we got your background so let's talk about the masters because i think you know to your point like you do have to get in the way that the market is right now you do have to kind of lift up stones and get creative with how you can make some money and make some plays and i think that the golf card market really is an area for people to explore I'm compelled by the golf card market, but I have some specific questions for you. Before we get into sort of those questions and the state of the golf card market, like give us kind of the Masters recap. What did you see at the Masters uh, that just happened? And, you know, from a golf perspective, but also from a golf card perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I would say I saw the market heat up a couple of weeks ago when there was whispers that Tiger would play. I mean, Tiger moves the whole Tiger is the golf business. It's, and there's some really great young players in the game. There's no doubt about it, but Tiger, it's, it's scary how much he is the sport. So when there was whispers that he might play, and I think a lot of people in the industry maybe had just a bit of a feeling in the pit of their stomach that he, he would play. Obviously that created a lot of hype about this year's event, right? Like um, the masters is historically it's, you know, it's the largest of the four majors. Everyone looks forward to it. So many of us know the holes, they, you know, the, the history, it's a part of American, it's Americana, I think the, the masters. Um, so it, you know, it's really the start of the golf season. It's the kickoff of the season for the you know, Northern climates, especially for us up here, you know, courses aren't open yet, but when masters rolls around, it means golf season's close. So, you know, with, with the pent up demand for golf, I think that this was probably one of the most hyped masters I've, I've ever seen. And then you add the, the, the tiger layer to things, you know, super interesting. You know, the fact that a new number one with Scotty Scheffler emerged before the tournament, I thought that that was, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Um, 
it was a recipe for a huge amount of ratings. I haven't seen what the ratings are yet, um, but I would assume that it was, you know, a huge, huge TV event. I would say it was awesome in general for golf. Um, and, you know, very interesting that you have a player that was just named number one in the world. His first major as number one in the world wins. That's the first time that's happened since. Yeah, that's wild. Him. That's huge. And, you know, it's really interesting with Scotty Shuffler. I wouldn't say that Scotty's like a tremendously marketable golfer. He's probably not as flashy as like maybe a Justin Thomas or a Jordan Spieth. Certainly not like a Rory if Rory would have won or if Rory would have come from behind yesterday. If Rory would have won yesterday, that would have Hey, been. he almost got his chance with that four putt. He, <laughs> that, was, that was crazy. I mean, Rory winning the Masters would have been the second biggest story other than Tiger winning. But I think we might have something pretty special with Scotty Scheffler. This guy's got a really, really strong amateur career, a lot of wins. And I think that that's one of the things when you look towards, you know, golf is, can you win? Can you close the deal? And he certainly got a track record where, you know, whether he was, uh, you know, a teenage phenom basically in Texas, really good college player, you know, a couple years on tour and now he's got four wins in his last six events. Uh, this could be a really, really good player and he could be around for a long time. Um, and when we see a trade-off, whether it's JT, it's, you know, Rom, it's DJ, there's a lot of really great players right now, but no one's really cementing themselves as the winner of this generation. So you got to know how to win to be that person. And I, I got this feeling and golf, I think is a feeling thing. I think Scotty Schaffer's going to win a lot, I think. And, and it might be, he might not have that comp that 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 competition. You know, it's not like uh, the Tiger where you had Tiger and DJ and um, even the 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 era before that with Faldo and Norman. This is a little softer of a generation. I'm not saying that it's not talented, but it's it's more widespread out. And the fact that Scotty can knows how to win is a big thing. So in terms of like state of the golf card market, like I was searching for Scotty Scheffler cards for a few weeks leading up to the masters and all I could find was a sports illustrated for kids card. And yeah. my problem with that is like, I won't bore everyone with the details of my personal situation, but just in general, hard to buy grade flip or buy or buy and even flip, even knowing that he's the number one in the world with, with a high chance of winning the masters. Um, what's your take on like that fact? Am I wrong? Are there other Scotty Scheffler cards? Like, is the state of the golf card market strong or could it be a lot better just based on like, I, I think what I'm trying to articulate is like a little bit of a challenge with golf card investing right now, because there, there seems to be a few sets by upper deck that have some investable cards, guys like Colin yeah. Morikawa, for example, but like, where else do you go? Like, how do you even make a play on a guy like Scotty Scheffler? Yeah, it's tough. I wouldn't say the golf card market is super strong. I, I mean, I think that there's definitely cult collectors out there that are, you know, extremely, extremely well-versed on, you know, what to buy, rare stuff, whether it's rare autos, inserts, parallels, whatever. Uh, those people have made a lot of money over the last little while because they've been able to pick off really great investments. But in terms of, you know, the overall state of the market, I, I would say it's probably one of the weakest, um, you know, obviously like F1's very, very strong right now. I think UFC's 
super strong. I would probably put golf like more along the lines of like WWE, probably in that category. Uh, maybe a little bit stronger because of the whole tiger element, but I wouldn't say that there's tremendous opportunities to like buy Scotty Scheffler rookie cards and, you know, make a, a ton of money. I don't think that that's a, a real play. Um, now to your point about Morikawa, I'm surprised by prices with Morikawa. Like they've really shot up and, you know, maybe that's, I don't know. He's marketable. I don't know how marketable Scotty Scheffler is. Morikawa is certainly very marketable. Um, I'm surprised at how much that's priced into the market already. Um, given when I look at where some rare tiger stuff sits, I think, man, like that is the tiger stuff is really, really, really undervalued. Um, I would say the tiger market in general is, um, it's, it's picking up, it's, it's heating up. You can feel it. You see it, whether it's eBay, you know, PWCC tiger market's strong, but I would say in general, if I'm talking about the overall market, fairly weak tiger market, extremely strong. If not, you know, it's, it's picking, it's picking up. It's, you know, now that he's playing again, it's starting to strengthen. Now, the one thing to consider about golf is it's not just about cards. There's also a collectible market. We just saw Tiger's Iron sell for $5 million over the weekend. I would say golf memorabilia is a very strong market. Like that's a, it's a little bit different and it's, you know, centered in and around some of the history of the game. Golf is a very historical game. And, you know, I would say like a comp, like $5 million for a set of irons that Tiger played, that's really strong. I'm really surprised to see that number. I thought maybe a million five, something like that, that price went crazy. So that's really interesting, whether that lifts the whole memorabilia market, maybe that increases, you know, some Palmer and Nicholas stuff. I don't know. I think it certainly strengthens the Tiger card market though. Yeah, so what about if Tiger doesn't keep rolling you know like we're obviously and have been at the tail end of tiger's career for maybe five six years you know he's kind of holding on to still being in the in the tour but you know is there a point where he moves into the uh i, I mean i don't know a ton about golf and you're gonna see my uh my expertise wane here but isn't there like a a a, a um, elder tour that he could potentially go into or is he just going to retire from golf completely with the injuries I don't think so. I mean, I think there's this a he's chasing Jack's record. It's and and you know the reality is is he might not win 18 major championships, uh, major championships, but he can tie Jack with another Masters if he gets his sixth. He could become the oldest major winner with another uh, win at Augusta or an, uh, the oldest two win at Augusta. I think he proved that he can play. I mean, the fact that he came back from such a devastating injury after you know 17 months or 16 months, whatever it was. I mean, that's, we're talking about one of probably the most incredible feats in sports history, the, the fact that he was able to do that. What I think is very interesting, though, is, is like Augusta is a golf course that he knows like the back of his hand. And the reality is, I think there's a lot of people in the industry that are saying to themselves, like, he's going to win again. It's just, it's part of his story. And, and maybe he doesn't, but the story is not being done told. I think he's got this internal fight. He's the closest athlete we've ever seen to Jordan in terms of that, like that will to win, maybe the most dominant, like, I mean, I don't know, going back to the early two thousands, there was no athlete that was more dominant in a short period of time than Tiger Woods. Um, he's got a, you know, his young son, who's a really good player. 
I got this sneaky suspicion that Tiger's sticking around because that means something to him. He wants to see his, 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 he wants his son to see him win more. Uh, he's going to come back a, again and play for sure at St. Andrews, which is, you know, his favorite, his favorite golf course. It's walkable. Tiger's still the best iron player in the world. He might not drive the ball as, as good as some of the other players on tour, but he's the best iron player in the world. I think he can win it. I honestly think he can win the British Open. And he'll be selective in terms of the events that he wins, but I think that he's going to have a serious chance to win majors over the next five years still. Okay. So what would be the Tiger Woods cards to buy right now? And what would be the play? Because I know, like, long-term, I believe what you're – I already wholeheartedly believe in what you're saying, and you're kind of validate you, – you coming on board and – providing me a lot of your insights on golf and on Tiger specifically. I know you've, you wanted to kind of compare him to some of the goats from the other sports like Brady, Jordan, Gretzky, maybe give us, and, and you mentioned the memorabilia sale uh, of his, of his, uh, his clubs going for, for 5 million. Bring it home for us in terms of like what cards to buy and why. And then like, what would the plays be? Like, would it be, would it be a bad play to buy a tiger card now and then sell it before the British open this year? Would it be a bet, you know, like, or, or would it be fine? Or, you know, I, I would assume you're going to say hold long term, but maybe tell us, tell us kind of what your overall tiger woods golf cards plays are. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, without giving it away too much um, and certainly don't want to come across, you know, pumping the stuff that I've been putting money into like the reality is, is it's all about scarcity with Tiger. He's, you know, his rookie card's got 900 auto. It's, it's numbered to 900. So it's pretty, pretty scarce to begin with. That's the SP authentic. There's a SP authentic gold that's numbered to a hundred. Like I look at that SP authentic gold that numbered to a hundred and I say, okay, you know, in the grand scheme of things, could that go to the world where, a Jordan, you know, 86 Fleer PSA 10 selling at that 285 or 250. I mean, it kind of fluctuates between 250 and 300. Based on, you know, scarcity alone, I think that card can go there. And that's one of those situations where a rising, rising tide lifts all boats. Um, but for Tiger, I mean, the reality is, is you've got a mass, pr uh, a mass printed upper deck rookie, and then everything else is relatively scarce in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's hard to get into the market. You know, you've got a, a 9.5 of the SP authentic number to 900 rookie card trading at 15, 17 grand right now. There's not a lot of people in that world saying, well, Hey, I, I'm going to buy a $15,000 golf card. The grand scheme of things though, when you look at the scarcity, there might not be a better investment out there when you comp that to something like, you know, what, what else is trading at 15 grand right now or in that ballpark, uh, you know, a, a Brady Bowman Chrome rookie card. Uh, and how many of those are out there in terms of print, you know, a Steph tops and Steph's probably a bad example. Steph's pretty low scarcity. Uh, you know, maybe a Gretzky PSA eight rookie card. They've been trending upwards. What's more scarce. I mean, that tiger card for what we are looking at is an all time goat. It's cheap. It's, and yeah. But the, the face value of the card is expensive. So, I mean, I think, I, I think there's a huge amount of room upwards in the scarce rookie cards, in particular, the SP Authentic Gold. I really believe there's a day where it goes to a quarter million plus, especially for PSA 10. Obviously, all the yeah. lower grades will rise as a result of that. And then I think that that probably the number to 900 moves into the 30, 40 range as a result of the gold going up. 
Um, you know, it's interesting. I think with Tiger, the exquisite market is, you know, uh, upper deck release, the exquisite golf collection. I think it's 2013, 2014. I mean, exquisite's gone through the roof, right? Like, I mean, it's separated itself as a brand, uh, like a lot, I think in the last year, or at least so it feels so to me. Um, I think that that stuff's really interesting, especially when you start comparing it against like, you know, Jordan or, uh, the LeBron exquisite auto market, like it, again, it's a relative and, and, and they're very, 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 very scarce. And, you know, it's one of those things like scarcity always seems to rise to the top. I think the insert world with Tiger is really interesting. You know, there's his master's collection had a lot of like low print, uh, stuff that could be very interesting. There's the jambalaya card out there. Um, you've got the PMG card, the precious metal gems, which, you know, we're seeing huge run-ups in some of this rare nineties insert parallel. Now, there's a couple of them out there with in the, in the tiger world, but they're not many. So what does that mean? You know, for someone that's maybe not interested in a rookie card, well, where are you going to put cash? Well, you know, the, the nostalgia of nineties inserts is huge. And those tiger inserts are, I think they're super, the, the eye appeal is really high and they're super low print run. They might be made for upper deck employees, but they're cool cards. And I could see those. I think there's huge, huge, huge upsides in those cards right now. That's a great call. I think, I think you're, you're onto something with this. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm really happy to have you on the show. Many reasons why I'm happy. That's one of them. And then the other, the thing, I mean, just to kind of talk about the, the Auto 900 uh, 2001 SP Authentic Auto. I mean, that's interesting because the last sale that I see on eBay of that card was August 15th, 2021 PSA t- in PSA 10 last yep. sale for $41,600. And you mentioned a Beckett 95 for 17. So that's an interesting play right there. Kendall and I talked about that earlier on this episode where if you can cross over a true gem Beckett over into a PSA 10, yep. that's a pretty big uh, immediate return on investment just based on the last sale. You never know what the next one's going to sell for, but we have yep. seen things like that happen with the Jordan 86 Fleer. Uh, people talking about doing that and being successful doing that. So I think there's, there's definitely a lot of good stuff there in the tiger market. So, um, Paul, while we still have you, I mean, we definitely want to try to hit a few other things. So emerging players, um, talk to us about you. We've already talked a little bit about Morikawa and Scheffler, but are there any other guys that we should keep an eye on in terms of who's to follow, but also who has cards and what those cards are that we should take a look at? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a bit of a vintage market as well. And, it, you know, it's not super exciting. Jack Nicholas and Palmer and, you know, there's some stuff, Bobby Jones stuff that's, you know, very, very, very valuable from the 30s and earlier. In terms of the emerging market, though, like my eye is still somewhat on Rory as that number two. Uh, I think Phil, obviously, with like kind of the recent stuff in the media, eh, you know, maybe not in the most stable of places, you know, in terms of straight <laughs> right now. So probably staying away from Phil's stuff for the time being, but you know, massive story if Rory wins, obviously you could see like the, the energy in and around yesterday's final round because Rory was making a charge was huge. He's, if he was to get a green jacket to claim that, you know, to have all of them, all of the majors, that's a big story. He definitely moves the needle. He's the second largest player in the world um, outside of tiger. I think that there's maybe a bit of a market with Rory with, 
some rare inserts. Like he's got a, he's got a precious metal gems card as well, which I think, you know, that's super interesting, especially because the tiger cards moved up so much that I look at the Rory and I think, oh, that's, that's cheap. If he wins another couple majors, that that's a card that could go to 10 G's. Um, but you know, and, 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 and Rory's got a couple of exquisite autos and things like that. He's probably the one I'm looking at in terms of emerging players. You know, obviously Scheffler, no cards in the market. Brooks Kepka, I don't even think uh, Brooks outside of the Sports Illustrated card has a rookie card yet. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what comes, you know, is there a new product? Would Fanatics, you know, potentially buy mm-hmm. Upper Deck? And could that mean, you know, more golf cards hitting the market? There's just not a ton of production out there. So we're not seeing rookie cards with some of these, you know, some of these players like a John Rom. So it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but I would say in terms of emerging, there's a couple names, you know, Justin Thomas, John Rom, DJ, Morikawa, they're all right there before I think they really start to have any sort of serious value. You're going to have to see more majors though, or, or, or more wins. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that like fanatics or upper deck making, you know, fanatics would have to acquire upper deck, but yep. with or without fanatics, upper deck making more releases i think would be a huge step in the right direction for the golf card market because you could start to see some of the f1 and ufc momentum uh just because having all those players that you just mentioned actually have legitimate cards upper deck typically has affordable prices on their hobby boxes so to go in and be first to the market on a lot of those I, I could see those, you know, I'm, we're making this up, this hypothetical upper deck hobby box that, that comes in the future, um, I think would be, would be great and would be something that, that I would, would jump into as long as there's like a, you know, look for an auto, look for a memorabilia card within the hobby yeah. box, those kinds of things. So Yeah, and especially with Tiger, I mean, like, we'll really see what happens over the next five years. But, you know, Upper Deck released a master's collection with Tiger with some really cool stuff in it. There's a, an exquisite uh, rookie patch. I would do anything to have that card. Like, I think it's just absolutely gorgeous. It, you know, the photo on it, and obviously this is like a historic card. It's the, you know, it's the, the LeBron rookie card version. Like I still remember that day that he beat Rocco in the playoff on the Monday. And like, I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. That is the type of card that I would lock away and have for the rest of my life. And I don't look at it as an investment. That would be like a personal thing. So if there was more product that came along that I think would maybe like, I don't know, resonate with people. Tiger means something to people, you know, like especially this comeback and the, the will to come back. Like, I think that that's, you know, sometimes people are, you know, they connect with an athlete. Uh, I think a lot of people connected with Kobe, a lot of people connected with Jordan. I'd say, you know, Tiger now, this human element that you're seeing, that could drive hysteria if there was a really, really good product. We just haven't seen it from the manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, last note on golf, and then we want to move into some quick hockey uh, before we let you go. Um, if there is, I'm going to do some more research on Tiger's son because if there's some sort of Bronny James moment about to happen in the future with Tiger and his son, like there will be with, with LeBron and, and his son, um, yeah. that will definitely be uh, something to keep an eye, an eye out for with his cards. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, all right, so in terms of like the, the, uh, the Canadian sports market, including hockey and even, even a guy that plays for the Raptors, who I'll let you mention, um, <laughs> why don't you give us kind of an overview of like your top five sort of uh, Canadian market 
investments right now and why? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the Canadian market, like the, I would say the Toronto sports teams maybe get overlooked a little bit. I don't know why, but it just seems like values of, of Toronto athletes have maybe not popped to some extent. I mean, if we're talking the overall Canadian market, Connor McDavid's number one for sure. I mean, we're looking at, I mean, and by the eyeball test, I go by all eyeball tests. This is the most talented hockey player I've seen since Wayne Gretzky. There's no doubt about it. He is, and you know, the reality is, is the pandemic is, you know, the, the shortened seasons and stuff like that is hurt his probably long-term chance of, of catching Gretzky on all-time points. But this is a player that is going to put up staggering numbers in a career. Is he going to win as many cups as Gretzky? Maybe not. Winning a cup is very challenging, and the game of hockey is quite a lot different now. But I would say in terms of the grand scheme of number one opportunity, Connor McDavid is, he might be the most dominant athlete in his sport of anyone in any sport right now. He's that good. So I see him as number one in, in terms of the overall Canadian market. Number two, I think Vladdy, like Vladdy Guerrero Jr., this is a very talented hitter. I don't know. I mean, I don't you know. You see what he did yesterday to a baseball? Like, this is a stupid Manny Ramirez type hitter. I don't think he's a Barry Bonds like hitter because, you know, Bonds was a, you know, Bonds is a 5 2 athlete. He was wickedly, wickedly talented. I'm not saying Vladdy's not the same. He's just not a defense. He's not a very good defensive player, right? He's, he might be a DH at some point in his career. He might even be a DH at some point this year. He's an unbelievable hitter. And when you look at things like, I think a metric that's really interesting to look at is like um, uh, OPS plus. Um, Babe Ruth, like some of these great, great, great hitters are, you know, leading a statistic like that. Vladdy led last year. And I think Vladdy is going to be the best hitter in baseball this year. That's being a great hitter is usually a really good thing for card values. I think he's undervalued given the grand scheme of just being a Toronto athlete and probably not getting as much exposure in the U.S. media market as some of the other players that are, you know, the uh, the Tatis is Acuna guys like that. Um, so he's my, he's my clear number two. Austin Matthews is clear. Number three, Austin Matthews is the best hockey player I've ever seen play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know if the Leafs are going to win a cup. If, if they do in the next couple of years, you might as well anoint him King of Canada. Um, you know, that would be like the most influential thing that any athlete and he's an American athlete, which is interesting as well. Um, but he is by far the most talented player to ever put the the jersey on. And the Leafs are everything in a city like Toronto and, and really in the province of Ontario. I think there's massive upside. I mean, I look at I look at Austin Matthews' eyeball test. I say that's Mario Lemieux. So Connor McDavid's the Wayne Gretzky of this generation. Austin Matthews is Mario Lemieux. So put that in the grand scheme of, you know, respectively in terms of cards and values. He's never going to be Connor McDavid value, but he's going to be number two in the overall grand scheme of the hockey market. Uh, four, I mean, Scotty Barnes is Scotty Barnes is one hell of a basketball player. Um, you know, in terms of what, you know, the impact as a rookie um, you know, win shares as a rookie. I think he's third highest all time behind Jordan and bird. Um, this guy's going to be really good. Uh, I don't know again, if he has the style of game to be John Morant or, you know, Devin Booker. I mean, Louis Giannis, Giannis doesn't play a, protect, a particularly attractive style of basketball. And I mean, he's in Milwaukee. It's, I wouldn't say Milwaukee is like a front and center market in the U S either. 
I, I think Giannis cards are wickedly undervalued and there's a lot of reasons why, but he is the best basketball player in the planet right now. Scotty is going to be a top 15 player in the league in terms of impact. Is he marketable? I don't know, but I think that the value of the cards could go up quite a bit, especially, you know, autos and RPAs and things like that. And then fifth, fifth, fifth's a tough one. I mean, I look at the Canadian national soccer team as, you know, just qualified for the Olympics for the first time. Davies, Alfonso Davies, probably the best player in, you know, at his position in the world. Now we're talking, Paul. Let's go. You know, I, I've recognized my friends really getting into soccer. I mean, I, and, you know, I grew up playing soccer. It's probably my best sport playing as a kid. Um, it, it, soccer is picking up steam big time in Canada, just like basketball is. It's, you know, you, we've got a widely multicultural uh, city here in Toronto. Soccer is wickedly popular. Like TFC is huge. So then, you know, to see what the Canadian national team's done and like, this is a good soccer team. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if they go to the round of 16, it's a very good team. And Davies is best player his position in the world. Now, you know, I don't know how, I guess he's a wing back or something like that. He'll score the odd goal, but I don't know how particularly, you know, marketable that position is, but very likely going to go down as if not already the greatest soccer player in the history of the country. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, this is great insights um, for, all sports card investors, because, um, you know, Americans tend to overlook Canada a lot of the time. And so um, these are, I think, arbitrage opportunities with every single name that you've mentioned uh, for not, o- not only the fact that they're just legitimate in their own right, but because there is such a strong fan base in Canada for them. And so Alfonso Davies is someone I was wondering about specifically because of his position. So you address that for me. And uh, I don't disagree with you at all on Scotty Barnes, on Vlad. They're, they're high on our sports card investment report. And, uh, yeah, great stuff. Kendall, do you have anything else for Paul? No, I would just say in, in terms of the Davies uh, thing, Bayern previously had a left back that moved up the field a little bit. Um, oh, shoot, what's his name? I'm blanking on it right now. Um, doesn't matter. He's from uh, Austria. But anyway, they, uh, they previously have had a player very much like him. They ended up moving up the field and I think now plays for Madrid. So um, I think he's got the profile. He doesn't necessarily have to score tons of goals to be a threat. Um, and I think he's definitely, especially with him coming from the MLS, his market here in the, in the United States and Canada and North America specifically, his cards could go stupid basically is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, one, just one more thing on Davies. Like I've learned a lot about soccer card investing over the last year. And I think that there's like two really simple factors (laughs) more so than any other sport. And one is, do they have investable cards Right. Um, when they're, when they're super young and two is what's their projected playing time. And Kendall and I hit on that in this episode, Paul, before you joined, and there's just a lot of us men's national team guys that are in the same mix, the same discussion. We don't really know who's going to play. And so right, I yeah. think if you, if you can say like, here's a North American team <laughs> with, with, with like a player who's going to play. And I know they've got Jonathan David too. I'm not sure how you feel about him, but in terms of Alfonso Davies, it's like, if you told a, a card and a soccer card investor like this guy's gonna play and he has investable cards and that could make a stronger case than a lot of the u.s men's national team guys unfortunately but but that could be an arbitrage opportunity i like it 
Yeah, you need a couple big cards to move the market the entire I'm a huge believer in like, you know, that rising tide. You need that card that can be worth a ton of money to to raise the lower end stuff. I think that obviously that creates more profile in terms of the overall investment opportunity, but I don't know about the Davies market. I mean, I know there's a couple gold parallels and stuff like that. I don't think there's a, a huge amount of auto stuff out there. Um, it'll be interesting. I don't know if there's the firepower at the high end to raise all the lower end stuff. That would be probably my biggest concern. Um, but we'll see, you know, yeah, I that's mean, well said, you know, there's Canadians that are going to buy that stuff. Uh, if, if there was rare stuff on the market right now, whether it's a number to 10 or something like that, it, it's a good buy. There's no doubt. I just don't think you're going to see insane pricing on autos and things like that, that can raise the bar as much as it needs to be raised. Yeah. I mean, I just think like, for example, Jonathan, David, like there, I could be wrong, but like, I've only found just the tops now, you know, and like, and, and that, that's unfortunate, but, um, but Hey guys, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Paul, you were awesome. Kendall, you were great as always. I'm super, uh, super excited that we're building this community and thanks, thanks to both of you for creating content with me. And thanks everybody for watching and listening to the sports card strategy show. We're going to have more of both of these guys coming up as part of the nooffseason.com content network. And uh, just a quick reminder that check out the sports card investment report at nooffseason.com. You can save 20% at checkout if you use the promo code nooffseason. And special thanks to marketmoversapp.com by Sports Card Investor. You can save, you can actually get your first month for $1, only $1 by using the promo code nooffseason, all lowercase there. We're about to run out of time. Thanks everybody and have a great day.